And all God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I know some of you are going, who in the world is this guy? And I'm okay with that. I get that a lot of places I go. Um, Before we jump in, I want to introduce myself. My name is Brian Hall, and and I'm the pastor at Chestnut Mountain Church. And, And first of all, I want to let you know that from the bottom of my heart, that Chestnut Mountain Church loves you. That each week we are praying that God does a mighty work here and I look around the room and it, I've not been here since y'all have gone to mornings. And, and the beauty of this is, is I don't recognize hardly anybody. And that is awesome. That is a good, a good, good thing. But I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. Jared and I sort of flipped places this morning. He is at Chestnut Mountain this morning preaching. Um, and so he invited me to come here. And I want to thank you and thank him for the opportunity and thank Marcus for letting me be up here today. So you can throw stuff at me. But look, I'll go ahead and apologize in advance. Like I'm a North Hall guy and I tend to kind of have my own language and I a lot of times make up words. So if I say something that's not in the dictionary, just just get over it. OK, I know what it means. OK, so I promise it's coming from a good place. All right. It may not make a lot of sense. But um, just bear with me and just keep moving. But, you know, I want to start out by thinking about something I want you to think about is, have you ever noticed how all of Jesus's teachings are completely countercultural to what we teach as far as in our flesh and as far as in this world? Um, I want to ask a question. How many parents do we have in the house? Parents everywhere, right? We got kids all over the place. It was awesome to see the whole back row. We've got kids that are going to be in here with us this morning. So I'm trying to abbreviate this a little bit because I know they get restless. I've got like, I don't know how many kids I got now. I think like five or half a dozen. I don't really, yeah, whatever. We got one of them with us. So this is a victory in and of itself today. Um, But you know, even in parenting, you know, the moment that you brought your child into this world, your child was 100% dependent upon you. That child had to depend on you for everything, for the food, to stay warm, for electricity. Your child had to depend on you for everything. And and as a parent, we love that in the beginning. But have you ever noticed how as parents it kind of evolves? Because we're even experiencing it right now with our newborn. You know, we love the dependency. But then what we find ourselves doing is celebrating every stage of independency. And so we celebrate that as parents, as we watch our children go from being dependent upon us to the day that they are completely independent and they don't depend on us from, from the time we, and we celebrate every one of those milestones. I was away this last week for a couple of days and I came home and, and one of my kids said, Easton, which is our newborn, Easton was holding his bottle this week. I'm like, no, he wasn't. And Chelsea will probably argue with me and say that he was. But we celebrate the milestone of a baby holding a bottle all the way to the milestone of when they leave our house and go off to college or leave to go off to get married. And so we see that dependency and we see it evolve into the celebration of independency. But what I've learned in my journey of following Jesus Christ is Then in the beginning, when I was trying to work out this whole, this spiritual realm or this salvation thing, I found myself being completely independent in the beginning. I thought, you know what? I have it in me to earn God's love. I can be good enough 
and God will love me. I can be good enough and God will be pleased with me. And everything that I was looking for, I was independent in that because I thought that I had the ability to earn God's favor, to earn God's love. But what I have learned in my journey of following Christ is the more that I walk with him, the more that I mature in my faith, I go from being independent to completely dependent. And so do you see how completely opposite of what we are trying to accomplish in the world is the exact opposite of what, te- what Jesus teaches in our spiritual journey? You know, in a nutshell, we, the longer we parent, all we're striving for is to teach our children independence. That's what we want our children to become. But in following Christ, as the Holy Spirit begins to move and teach, we realize that in order for us to make it as followers of Christ, we have to go from being independent to fully dependent on the Son of God. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I am absolutely thankful for that. Amen. And that's exactly what we're going to look at today in the Gospel of Matthew. You know, I'm going to be transparent with you, man. I, I was really, really excited and humbled. When I found out I was going to get the chance to be here, because then I heard like you entitled this message, the greatest sermon ever preached. And I was like, man, that is awesome. That is very humbling. But then I realized that was the same title that Marcus used last week. And I guess it's the name of the whole sermon series. So that quickly got busted. And but anyway, um, but I do want to say that that I want us to look in and, and continue looking at what Marcus kind of unpacked last week in the first two verses. And it's kind of comical because. I always study on Tuesdays. That's the day that I get away from the world and I've got a little camper in Cleveland and that's where I go. I don't, I don't talk to anybody. And so Monday morning I get up very early. I'm, I'm an early riser. I get up about 4.30, 4.45. And I was spending time with the Lord on, on Monday morning getting ready for today. And so Jared had already kind of given me in my instructions of, of where we were going to be coming from. And it was actually going to be um, blessed are those who mourn. So I had two and a half hours of study time on Monday morning to find out late Monday night, Jared informed me, hey, Marcus only made it through verse two. So um, you're going to be blessed are the poor in spirit. So I just said, "Okay, I got it. So I scratched two and a half hours of study and started over on Tuesday morning. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter five. And I want you to turn your Bible there. Matthew chapter five. And we're going to be looking at verse three. Matthew chapter five. Verse three, and I'm going to read it with you. I would say look on the screen, but there's no screen. So praise God. This is going to be a whole lot easier. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, before we go on down or before we're, we're going to look at any of the other Beatitudes, this is the only this as far as we're going today. This is it. And I walked in and Dawson goes, how many are you preaching today? I said, only one. He said, oh, OK, good. But what I think we need to unpack, what we need to understand before we move on any further is the very first phrase. Blessed are or blessed are those. Because the reality is, is for the next eight verses, that's going to be the same language that you continue to hear. And so I find it very important that we unpack what that means. And it's important to know that before we go any further. And that word blessed comes from a Greek word, makarios, which means supremely blessed. Fortunate, well off, or in some context, it literally means to be happy is what it means to be happy. 
Now, biblically speaking, what we find in studying and looking and all over the scripture and all over the other commentaries is that we realize that this is more about a condition of your heart. This is more about a condition of your spirit rather than the emotion of happiness and doing jumping jacks and being so excited and just being over the moon about everything. Because we can all agree that following Christ is not always easy. It's not always about being happy the way that our world describes happiness. But when we look at it, biblically speaking, it's a condition of the heart. But if we were to look at what the secular world means of how the world would define this word blessed, it's very interesting because I want you to listen to this definition. The definition of blessed in the worldly perspective describes a position of the wealthy. And because of that wealth, they are above the normal cares and the worries of those who are not wealthy. So basically to be blessed from the worldly perspective is said, hey, if you've got money, you're better off than those who don't. Is essentially what that text is saying from a worldly perspective. And so if we're going to use that definition to kind of. To parallel it to a biblical definition, what I want you to know as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ is that I've got great news for you today. And here's the news that I want to share with you today, that no matter what your circumstances are today, no matter what you walked in carrying today, no matter what you left at home to come in here with this morning, if you have been saved by the grace of God, you are above the normal cares of this world. You are above the normal worries of what this world can throw at us. Yes, it is a disaster what is going on on the other side of the world. Yes, it breaks all of our hearts. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are blessed because from a spiritual perspective, that has no effect on our spiritual standings with an almighty and a holy God. And I don't know about you, but that is good news. That it doesn't matter where you're at right now. It doesn't matter what you're walking through. It doesn't matter how maybe even alone you feel. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are blessed. Because you are above the worries and the cares that this world can throw at us. And so when we talk about being blessed, this is what it means as a follower of Christ. And so for the next eight verses... Jesus is going to unpack how do we experience this idea of being blessed? How do we experience this idea of of being happy? How do we experience this idea of being joyful? How do we experience this? And that's exactly what we read just a moment ago. Is blessed are the poor in spirit. Now. You know, Jesus was a lot smarter than we are. Y'all do realize that, right? So he didn't just randomly pick these beatitudes. He didn't just sort of draw them out of a hat and say, blessed poor spirit. That sounds like a good one to start with. He put these in an order because the reality is, is if we don't comprehend what blessed are the poor in spirit is about, then we're never fully going to grasp what everything else is about. So it is very, very important that Jesus starts here with the blessed or the poor in spirit because he wants us to understand this one. Because in order for us to move forward, we have to understand the weight of what Jesus is speaking of in this one. 
And so that's what we're going to look at first today. That's why we're going to look at it. Not because Brian's smart, because it's the way that Jesus organized it. But the way that we're going to look at it, you know how you, do, you follow along and learn about the, the Word of God is you look into the Word of God, right? That's how it's defined. And so I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And I'm going to share a story with you that really paints the picture for all of us. And I'm going to be honest, I'm really stretched this morning because I'm a mover when I talk. And if y'all see, if I, if I kick this table in a minute, just forgive me, okay? Just keep paying attention and pretend like it's entertaining, okay? But if we look in, in Luke chapter 18, we're going to see an example of someone who is poor in spirit and someone who is not. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a visual learner. So when I read this text, it really helps me better understand exactly what Jesus wants us to understand when he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And so I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 18. And we're just going to read verses 11 and 12 to begin with. It says the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I and not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like those or this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay a tithe of all that, you guessed it, I get. This example that we've just read about this Pharisee is absolutely the exact opposite. Of what it means to be poor in spirit. If you notice in two verses. Five times we heard the pronoun I. And so I don't know about you. But have you ever been in that conversation. With someone who has a pronoun problem. And then everything they talk about is I, I, I. And if you're anything like me. I check out. Because we get tired of hearing. About what everybody else wants to say about themselves. But the reality is the world we live in, we are caught in this I world. Because if you think about it, and I used to use this in student ministry, we've all got an iPhone. We've all got iTunes. We've all got iCloud. Do you realize the culture is trying to pour into us that everything's about us? And that's not a reality. That is not what Jesus is talking about when he speaks of Blessed are those who are poor in spirit or blessed are the poor in spirit. Because five times he's referencing himself. But you know what's kind of heartbreaking? Is this Pharisee somehow thought that he had the ability to earn God's love. That he thought he had the ability to choose or to, to, to achieve holiness. That he had the ability to enter God's presence based off his performance. And that's why he continued to say, I have done this. I have done that. I have done this. But the Pharisee is doing exactly what Paul, all in the New Testament, warned believers against. He warned the church at Philippi. He says, look, don't put confidence in your flesh. And how many of us in this room, we've been there. We've put the confidence in our flesh. We've put it in ourselves as if we had the ability to earn God's love. 
That we have the ability to make God's light shine on us. Because the reality is even our righteousness, even when we think we're good enough, the Bible says that it's his filthy rags. It's his filthy rags. You know, I think if we were all real, real honest, we've all been there. That's something I struggle with every day. As a follower of Christ, as a pastor, I feel sometimes somewhere in my flesh that I've got to be doing in order to make God love me. God proved his love to me when he sent his son to do what I couldn't do. And I don't have the ability in me to change that. But you know, when we when we have confidence in our flesh, you know what that is? It's idolatry. We're thinking higher of ourselves than we ought to be. We put ourselves on a pedestal, even above the son of God, because we're saying what the son of God did was not enough. So I've got to do his sacrifice on the cross was not enough to pay the debt of my sin. So therefore, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to check the box. Look, we I don't know about you, but I grew up in that church. As a young boy, where you had the giving envelope on the back of every pew. And it said, brought your Bible, check. Tithing, check. I went to Sunday school, check. And one of my favorite pastors, J.D. Greer, he always said that even in their envelope, it said, I've shared the gospel this week. And he said a lot of times his sister would be sitting right beside him in the pew and he would look at her and begin to say, hey, do you know Jesus? Just so he could check the box that he shared the gospel. He shared the gospel with his sister every single Sunday so he could check a box. But I don't know about you, but for me in my flesh, that's exhausting. That is exhausting to feel that we have to live that way in order to check a box. But the question is, have you made an idol of yourself? Have you made an idol of who you are and what you do? And for all of us, I think we can agree that we've all been there. I remember before I gave my life to Christ, I gave my life to Christ when I was 12 years old. And I can remember that when I would mess up or I would sin I felt if God was up on his throne with this whipping post, just ready to spank me. That's just what I felt. God, that's how I felt. This this angry God was looking down at heaven upon me and saying, you sinner, I'm going to whip you. I'm going to beat you. That's the perspective that I had of God, because I grew up in that legalistic mindset. If I've got to do in order to earn the love of God. But I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit revealed otherwise. Paul Washer says this, that idolatry is us attempting to be the source of our own joy. So according to what he's saying there, that we would be saying something like. Blessed are those who can be good enough. Blessed are those who can do enough. Blessed are those who can correct this action. Blessed is this one only if they can give up that addiction. 
But the reality is, is when we do that, when we get caught up in that mindset, we're a slave to idolatry and the idol is ourselves. Because we don't have it in us. We don't have it in us to earn the love of God. But I would ask you this question. Are you the source of your own joy? You say, well, Brian, what do you mean by the source of my own joy? Do you find your happiness in, in how you get promoted at work? Do you find your, your happiness just in what you achieve here on this planet? Do you, you find your happiness just in what other people think about you? Because if you are the source of, source of your own joy, can I tell you, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. You're never going to be good enough. Whatever level you achieve at the workplace, there's always going to be something better. There's always going to be something more. And what I've learned in my journey is, you see, I didn't set out to be a pastor. This is the last place I thought I would be. I wanted to be a basketball coach. I'm 6'4 on the inside. Okay? So don't, don't judge that. But I set out to be a basketball coach. And I worked my tail off. I put hours in. Look, I just wanted to coach high school. That was it. I had worked and worked and worked and worked. And all of a sudden, I was the next in line to be the varsity basketball coach at Flowery Branch High School. And I thought, you know what? This is what I've been living for. And you know what God said? Just how big a boy are you? Because this is not the plan I have for you. Do what? I've gone to school. I put in the hours. But wait a minute, God, you better not get in my way because this is what Brian wants. And can I tell you that that was the hardest thing that I ever had to say no to was what Brian wanted. And I was offered a job as a middle school youth pastor. You know what I knew about being a youth pastor? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But I look back now and, and it's as if God, every time that I would reach the, the pinnacle of what Brian wanted, it's as if God said, nope, back to the bottom. Who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping your success? Or are you going to worship me? But you know, that's exactly what the Pharisee was continuing to do. He had made an idol of himself. And the reality is, is we're all guilty. Whether we want to admit it or not, we're all guilty of finding joy in our continual work. And as I said a moment ago, that is exhausting. When the grace of God says, Quit trusting in your continual work and just simply trust in the finished work. Just simply trust in what's already done. 
And while this continual work in the flesh absolutely wears us out, if we will ever slow down long enough just to simply focus on the finished work of Christ, can I tell you that is the most rest you will ever find? That is the most rest you will ever find is when we rest in the finished work of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And when we do that, we're blessed. When we're doing that, we find joy. But the truth is, is that's not at all what the Pharisee was doing. The Pharisee was looking at it from another perspective. But I want us to look now for the good news. I want you to look at verse 13. And this is someone who is poor in spirit. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. You see, this Pharisee was caught up in this comparison trap of looking at everything from a horizontal perspective. This Pharisee was looking around and saying, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. I'm glad I'm not like that girl. And if he could tear someone else down, he could boost himself up. We're not going to do this, but if you were to look around the room right now, in your flesh you could point out somebody that in your flesh you think you're better than you could say well I know where they've been and praise God I haven't been there I know what they did last night and I wasn't a part of it and if we're not careful we're just like the Pharisee We can look around in a room like this. We can walk outside of church into a lost and a dying world and see people on the corner and say, praise God, I'm not like that. You want to be humbled real quick, though? You realize if everybody around here looked right or left, you would be somebody's person. (laughs) So just when you think you've arrived, you are somebody else's that they're better than. It's just the truth. But what we see here is the difference in somebody who is not poor in spirit and someone who is. Because what we realize is that the Pharisee was comparing everything horizontally. But when we look at this tax collector, which basically says this dude's a sinner. He could not even lift his eyes towards heaven because he was comparing himself to a holy and a righteous God. And that is the very thing that took him to his knees. That is the the very thing that he was crying out. Be merciful on me, oh God, because I am a sinner. So you have a Pharisee who was saying, thank God I'm not like him. But then you've got the beggar. You've got the one who is poor in spirit that can't even lift his eyes to heaven. And he's saying, God, be merciful on me. I can't earn your love. The only way that you can love me is because of what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. And that's the only way that I can be loved because I don't have it in me to please you. I don't have it in me to stand in your holiness. I don't have it in me to stand in your righteousness. But it is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that I have the ability to enter your presence. 
That's it. And because of that, I am blessed. Because of that, because of that and that alone. And so here we see a man who is, who's the definition of poor in spirit. That word poor, the word poor translates reduced to beggary. This tax collector realized he had no way to salvation except of begging God for his mercy. That was it. He was poor in spirit. And in that moment, he turned to God, not as an independent Pharisee, But he turned to God as a completely dependent sinner on the grace of God. You see, like the Pharisee being independent as we as 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 in our culture, as we try to change, lead our children to become independent, the realizing what we have to understand is the. The more we grow in our faith is we become more and more poor in spirit because we realize that we have to be totally dependent upon God. That's it. We don't have a choice. And this tax collector had finally come to the place where He had to be dependent upon God to do what he couldn't do. And as we read there, this would be the definition of being spiritually bankrupt. You know, when we hear that word bankruptcy, we always think of it from a financial perspective. So if that's the way our minds go, let's let's entertain our little minds. Because to be financially bankrupt is when one declares that they are unable to pay a debt. That they are unable to pay a debt financially. And they throw their hands up and they say, I can't do it. They give up everything they have. They give up everything they are. But the beauty of financial bankruptcy, if you would is you get an opportunity to start over. Do you realize that when we become spiritually bankrupt, it is the very same thing. We get to a point where we realize that there is a debt that we cannot pay back. That there is a debt that we can't in our flesh pay back. And praise be unto God, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to that spiritual bankruptcy had been paid on the cross of Calvary. And in that moment, that bankruptcy was wiped out. But the beauty of salvation is that just like this financial bankruptcy, in the moment that we become spiritually bankrupt, in the moment we are birthed into this idea of being poor in spirit, in that moment of surrender, we get to push reset. We get to start over. We give up everything we are. We give up everything we've acquired. We give up everything that we've tried to achieve and say, God, I'm giving it all to you. 
And in that moment, according to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, for anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. We start over. We start over in that moment of becoming spiritually bankrupt. We realize we can't do enough, but then we see the good news of verse 14 in Luke chapter 18. He said, I will tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exhausted. Exalted, not exhausted. <laughs> See, I told y'all I make up stuff. That was in the Brian version, so y'all just move on. See, that keeps your attention, though. My ignorance keeps your attention. Praise God. And why is my wife the loudest laugher? She <laughs> Here she is. She, never mind, I'll shut up. But we see the results of that. We see the result of that when it becomes poor in spirit. You know, if you're here this morning and you've been saved by the grace of God, you've experienced being poor in spirit. You've experienced realizing that you had nowhere to turn but him. And I would be lying to you if I said that maybe you're here today. I've been praying to God that would send people here today that are not poor in spirit. That you came in this room today exhausted. Because you've been trying to earn God's love. You've been trying to, to earn the credit of this world. You've been trying to get all the attention put upon yourself because you grew up with this legalistic mindset that you've got to do in order to achieve. And I have been praying for you this week that you would leave here spiritually bankrupt this morning. And that God would knock on your heart's door and invite you into a relationship with him that says, hey, Quit exhausting yourself and just trust in the work that I've already finished. I've already done it for you. So trust that. So maybe you're here this morning and you could even right now say, Brian, that's me. I thought I've had to earn God's love. So you're telling me that I don't have to be good enough. No, you don't have to be. But when you understand the love and the grace of God, you want to be good enough. You're willing to lay your life down for the one who gave his life for you. And that means that you turn from your sin nature. You turn from the person that you once were. And now you are pursuing not the achievements of this world, but you're pursuing the son of God. And I can promise you, if you are pursuing the son of God, he is not leading you into temptation. So I've been praying for you this week. But as we get ready to kind of land this plane or we kind of get ready to close this message out, there's something I want you to think about. Did y'all just see that? Water just dripped on my Bible. Yes, Lord. I may start running here in a moment. Man, I think it was from the air conditioner. Nope, nope, there it goes again. Good, praise God. Now it's going to land on the microphone and short the whole generator out, and then we are in trouble. 
Sorry. But you know, as we talk about being poor in spirit, you know, for the believer in the room, you know, to be poor in spirit is to be completely dependent on someone for something you can't do. And so even as a follower of Christ, there's, there's a lot of things in life that you wouldn't even attempt to do without the power of God. Maybe you've got some big decisions that you need to make. And as a Christian, you're going, you know what? There's no way as a follower of Christ that I'm going to attempt to make that decision without God's direction, without God's power. I know as a dad, there's no way that I'm going to try to raise my kids in this sick world we live in without the power of God. There's no way I'm going to try to lead my home without the power of God. And yes, those are all those are all ideas of being poor in spirit, but to be completely poor in spirit, we've got to recognize that it's not only about God's power in the big things, but it's about God's power in the little things. Because you realize that where you're sitting this morning, you can't take a breath without the power of God. Where you're sitting this morning, your heart cannot beat without the power of God. Because if you ever just sit and thought about that. When I was a middle school student pastor, I remember I would always get the students and I would say, Hey, y'all just sit and think. What's making my heart beat right now? What's making your heart beat? You're not plugged up. You don't have a spark plug. Your heart is beating and your lungs are inhaling and exhaling only because of the power of God. That's it. And so for us to be spiritually bankrupt, for us to be poor in spirit is for us to say, God, yes, I'm trusting you for salvation. Yes, I'm trusting you for all the big things in my life. But God, I am so bankrupt. I'm going to trust you with every little thing of my life. Every little thing in my life. You know, in this journey of following Christ, I would ask you this morning to examine your own heart and to examine your life and ask yourself the question, how poor in spirit am I? Because the truth is, a lot of you are going to go to work tomorrow. And it's become such a habit. It's become a, such a what you do that you think you don't even need God to finish tomorrow. But can I tell you, if you'll wake up tomorrow morning and you will die to yourself and you will become poor in spirit and say, God, I can't take a step without you. God, I can't take a breath without you. Can I tell you that God's doors are going to open wide open for you because he's going to know that you are solely dependent upon him as your life source? 
Because he's going to say, you know what? My child is finally dead to themselves and they're going to allow me. He's going to allow me to use them and I'm going to open doors of opportunity. So how poor in spirit are you? You know, are you here this morning? Are you still stuck in the mindset? And if that's you this morning, my heart breaks for you because I've been there. It's a lonely and a hopeless place to be. But what I encourage you to do this morning is to ask God to give you the strength to be weak. Ask God to give you the strength to be poor in spirit. Die to yourself this morning and say, Jesus, I am trusting you to do what I could not do. Because when we're poor in spirit, Matthew Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. beauty of that passage again because it's completely countercultural to what our world teaches because you realize that when this life here is over and we stand in the presence of an almighty God that you're not going to be standing around looking horizontally saying oh there's Billy Graham oh you know there's Louis Giglio there's not going to be this comparison game because the reality is is everyone that stands around the throne room of the Savior are all those who are poor in spirit all those who realize I am bankrupt without a Savior so the reality is is we all going to be standing around the throne broke I can relate to being broke Because in that moment, the comparison trap is over. What you'll have in common with everybody in heaven is that you're standing around with a bunch of people who realized they could not save themselves. And so this morning, I I invite you. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord, I pray that today is that day that you've been made poor in spirit. That the Holy Spirit has invited you into a relationship with Him and He's whispering to you, says, you can't do it. I've already done it. But for the believers in the room, for the followers of Christ in the room, where are you at in this journey of being poor in spirit? Are you still living independently? Or do you need to surrender today to total dependence? Total dependence. Say, God, I've acknowledged you in all the big things. But God, I fail to acknowledge you in all the little things. Because you know, Jesus, sometimes it's easy to trust for our eternity, but we have a hard time trusting for the next day. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And so my prayer for you this morning is that as you grow in your faith, that you become less independent and you step into a relationship of total dependency. So I want you to stand to your feet. This altar is open. I want you to respond as the Holy Spirit would lead you. 
God, I thank you that your presence is here. God, I thank you that your word has spoken. And God, I pray just as we prayed a moment ago that when your spirit moves, God, I pray that we would respond. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit honestly has made somebody a little miserable today. And God, I pray that you would invite someone into a relationship today. And when you do, God, they would become poor in spirit. Today would be that day of spiritual bankruptcy. And God, we'll praise you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus.